The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. This is the home for Autism Live. It is also the home for the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Thrilled to be here with you live on this Thursday morning. We've got a big show planned for you and hopefully we're going to have time today. We haven't had time for a while to drop in on some of the questions that you guys have been writing in and we're going to be taking questions live. Uh, because unfortunately, and I'll tell you this again in a second, but you know, we normally have Bonnie Yates, special education attorney Bonnie Yates, on the show, and I just spoke to her, and she has been called away urgently, which we always understand that there is the potential for that. So I think we're going to have more time for questions this morning. So really want to encourage you guys to be writing in if you have a question. And uh, I always like to remind you that the entire show is meant to be interactive. We're going to be here with you live for two hours. We want to hear your thoughts, your comments, your questions, your concerns. Sometimes you just need to yell out into the dark and see if you can be heard by somebody. So uh, go ahead and shout out to us. We're going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect with us. So take a look at the bottom of your screen. While you're looking at these, I want to remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's so many things to do, uh, but if you click on the triangle that's on the computer screen, it will start playing the live show or the most recently recorded live show. Now to the side of all that is something we call the live feature. There's a series of boxes. And if you put your cursor in the box that says your question, all you have to do is type and hit enter. You don't have to log in. You don't have to have a username, a password. You don't have to click on the pictures that have the stairs in them. Oh my gosh, how badly do we hate that thing? right you don't have to do any of that stuff you don't have to have a credit card you don't even have to input your name I just love that it was one of the things that we worked really hard to be able to do and of course there is no cost to you so all you have to do is type and hit enter and it shows up here on my screen now I will say to you that it has a little bit of a lag a little bit of a delay so ask your questions early and I will try to keep an eye on that crawl as well as Facebook and the YouTube uh, we love to hear from you guys. Love when we get to hear your comments and interact with you because you know that I, what I always say, nobody can get through this by themselves. We hold hands. Si se puede, right? We can do this. Uh, okay. Uh, we, I always like to remind you at the start of the show on Thursday that we have a lot of experts that are on the show and we're going to have some amazing guests a little bit later on in the show today. But I want you always to remember that though we have many experts on the show, I'm not one of them. 
I am an autism mom and I certainly try to be a good student and sit at the front of the class where we're when we're talking about autism, but I am not an expert in autism. I'm not even an expert in my own kid because every time I almost think I might be, he changes and then there we are, not an expert. But what I am is a really proud mom of a young man who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half and people told me it was game over. It wasn't. It was game on and we got incredibly lucky. We got the help and the support that we needed and I made a promise. I One night when I was on my floor rocking and praying and saying, you know, help me to help this kiddo and I promise if you help me and show me what to do and make it clear, I promise I will turn around and help whoever I can. So here we are, my friends. Uh, I want to help you. I want to be your cheerleader. I know that this is not a one-size-fits-all, so I'm not saying that what my kid necessarily needed to do is what you or your kid needs to do, but I want to help you to get to the thing that you do need. I know that our community is big and vast and diverse, that we within our community we have parents, we have teachers, we have practitioners. We have individuals who are themselves on the autism spectrum and sometimes not only that, but all the other things that I just mentioned. And that the thing that we all have in common is that we care deeply about someone who is on the spectrum. We want to help them to get to the help and support that they so richly deserve. I want to help you to do that. So put me to work. Uh, you, know, you could write in and say, Shannon, here's what I need to know, and I'll, I'll get on the phone and try to see who I can get to either talk about it on the show or someone to take your call. We'll try to figure it out together. Si se puede, right? We can do this. All right. We like to start Thursday mornings with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, and we try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are these folks talking about, right? So first we give you the actual term, and then we give you a watered down term that sometimes makes the experts break out into hives. Um, and to be honest, we like to make fun of the actual term whenever possible because there's a lot to make fun of. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but the whole point of this is that you have to be able to access the jargon to be able to do the kinds of things that you're going to need to do. I know. I fought it. I fought it for at least two years and said, really, I have a master's degree. Do I need to get another master's degree in psychology and another one in autism? Do I seriously need to do all of this work? Why can't they just talk in plain English? What I found after two years of railing against it was if you know the jargon terms, it saves time and it saves money and it helps you get, get to progress sooner. So uh, that's why we do this. And hopefully sometimes when we recycle terms and do them over and over again, it gives you guys an opportunity to sort of see how it fits into your life. I hope the terms that we choose will give you uh, progress by saving you time and money because that's where it's at, right? Saving time and money. So today's term is one that we've used before, and it is antecedent. I know, doesn't your head just hurt? You go, what? Why do I need to know this term? Are people really going to be saying antecedent to me, and it's really going to be something that's important to me? Yes. I know, as shocking as that seems, yes, that's the truth. So antecedent. Let's, uh, so our, our actual definition of antecedent is anything that occurs, I'm reading this to you verbatim, anything that occurs or is present immediately before the behavior of interest. What? 
This is why we do these terms. So when people talk to you about what was the antecedent, really our working definition for this is what happened before. What happened directly before? So you start to talk to the teacher or the BCBA or somebody in your life that's more of the expert that you're trying to get the progress from, and you say, well, my child was kicking someone. And sometimes it works the other way. The teacher comes to you and says, your child was kicking somebody. And what we always want to know is, well, what happened right before that? I know sometimes people will depict autism and autism behaviors as being random, that these things just pop out of nowhere. And even as a parent and a former teacher, there were times when I used to think that these behaviors were just random, that they popped in from somewhere, nowhere. The fact is, that's not the case. Every behavior, every behavior, whether it is an individual who's on the autism spectrum or not, every behavior comes about for a reason. Something happens beforehand which then causes the behavior. If you doubt this, look at your own life and ask yourself, especially things that you do on a regular basis, what happens right before you do them? The example I always like to give is that at some point in the day, at some point in the day, at least once, you get up and turn on a light switch. Why? What happened right before? We know from studying behavior that always in behavior that's what they call a three-term contingency. So there, there's an antecedent, something happens, and then there's a behavior, and then there's a consequence. A, B, C. It's the ABCs of behavior. So the antecedent is what happens before, and I'm telling you it's the keys to the kingdom because we don't have control over the behavior. Have you ever sat with a kiddo in a doctor's office and they, they're bored and they start kicking the chair, right? And what do we say as parents and caregivers? We say, don't do that, right? Because we wanna deal with the behavior. Don't stop that, don't do that, right? And does it stop? No, it does not stop. Because we have very little control over the behavior and they're doing the behavior for a reason. So why would they wanna stop just because we said so? But a lot of times we bang our head on this wall. Oh, I'll just tell them to stop it. It's not working. So uh, we don't have control over the behavior often, but where the control is, is in the antecedent before and the consequence afterwards. <gasps> this is where it gets exciting. If you can really begin to sink your teeth into the idea that if I get there before the behavior happens and create things that are different, maybe the behavior won't happen, you can change the world honestly and when so we always think in terms of antecedent modifications and we will always talk about consequence strategies right because sometimes you can't get there before but a lot of times you can we know that there are four main reasons why kiddos in general autism no autism will engage in behaviors that are challenging the behaviors we don't want the behaviors that you're like uh i don't want this right Four reasons why, and the biggest one is attention. That's it. For, for anybody who's ever been in a classroom with a kid who's acting out, nine times out of 10, it's attention. And you know what the magic pill for that is? Is to give them attention before they desperately need it. That's an antecedent modification. What happened before? And often what happened before is that this timer went off in the kiddo and they needed attention. And remember, when people want attention, it doesn't matter what kind of attention it is. It can be good attention, that's great, but if I can't get good attention, I'll engage in bad 
behavior to get bad attention. If you doubt that, just pick up a tabloid. There are lots of people engaged in bad behavior just to get attention of any kind whatsoever. Um, so knowing what the before is can help you to do these antecedent modifications and change things. When this got explained to me and then ever after, I would go to the doctor's appointment and I would have a bag of toys for my child. Little itty bitty, you know, intricate toys that he liked. And the first time I just gave him the bag and he opened up the bag and he played with all the toys and then he was done and then he was back to kicking the chair, right? Because he was bored. And there was nothing else that was getting his attention or giving him attention. So he kicks the chair. Now he's got my undivided attention. Plus the elderly lady across the room who's looking at him and talking to him now, right? So eventually I learned, take the bag of toys, take one thing out at a time. And when he's done playing with that thing, then another thing pops out, right? So it's this mystery thing. And I kept his attention. We never had him kicking the chair again. It works. All I can say is it works. So antecedent modification, you can't do it unless you know what happened before. And anytime someone tells you that someone you care about did something that they're not happy with, automatically you say to them, what happened before? What happened right before? Um, that is often the answer to why that behavior happened, right? antecedent what happened before it's a really great thing okay moving on we always have a question of the day and this is one that we love to have you guys answer for us on Facebook if you have the opportunity uh, we'll check in a little bit later on to see how you guys answer this but talking about antecedents our question today is what's the first thing that you do every day what's the very first thing that you every do every day do you wake up and immediately have to start running, 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 running? Do you wake up and have a moment of mindfulness and sit with yourself and enjoy the fact that you are awake and that you're breathing? And what are, what's the difference on, and how those two days go, depending on what you start with? Do you wake up to music that you love or do you wake up to an alarm that, right? What's the, and then once that happens, what's the very next thing you do? Uh, my good friend, Joanne Lara, who's getting an award this weekend at Denim and Diamonds and is a regular on the show, I have been really transformed in the last year talking to her. I talk to her almost every morning and she sits in her beautiful backyard with all of her wonderful trees and she has birds that she has a bird feeder and squirrels, she loves animals and she has her coffee and she has her newspaper because that's what makes her happy. And she always takes a moment and has that. She's been saying to me for a year, Shannon, you wake up and you are like a, a running, screaming mad woman. <laughs> and it's the truth because I got to you know, help my son get all his stuff together. I got to get all my stuff together. There's schedules to manage. Who's picking up who? Who's going where? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so I've really been focusing in the last few months on getting... I can't just stop everything, right? It takes a while to plan, um, but I've been focusing on getting everything to the point where very soon I will be able to take a full moment in the morning. Right now I take about three seconds because you can do something every day, right? But to be able to be the master craftsman of whatever that moment is. 
So I'm asking you, what do you do first thing in the morning and what does it set you up for? Does it set you up for success? Does it set you up for stress? What could you change today to make that a better moment? And what's your long-term plan to make that a better moment? I'm very interested in this. Uh, and then we always have a topic of the week for you. Our topic this week that we're talking about, and I'm going to spend some time delving into this a little bit later on, but um, we're talking today about creating happiness. How do you create happiness? How can you make that happen for yourself? We all are busy and we all have a lot of things going on that are challenging, right? And I'm watching a couple of friends that are having particularly challenging things. Look, we moved this last weekend and that was as challenging as I could handle. Whoo, moving is so very, very, very not fun. But the whole time we were moving and any time I would think, man, I can't do this. This is really, really, really hard. I was struck by the fact that, you know, I have a very good friend whose two-year-old is going through chemotherapy. Man, you know, I bet she would be happy to be moving today. Like if that was the choice of having your two-year-old have to go through chemotherapy or moving, you know, it's that old thing about if we all took all of our troubles and our woes and stuck them in a pot and passed them around, everybody would take their own back, right? So if that's the case, if that's sort of the normal, how do we get to creating happiness for ourselves? And one of the things that we love to talk about here on the show is mindfulness. So we're going to talk about some mindfulness things that we can do to get us in the present because one of the, there's been all this research done on happiness and why are some cultures happier than others? I've been able to go to seminars on this because I find it a very interesting topic. Uh, but one of the main things with happiness is being in the moment. Oh my gosh, that is so hard when you have autism living at your house, right? Can we just all take a breath and not acknowledge that? But if we can truly be in the moment, that's really the only place where joy happens. We can be busy thinking about the past. We can be reliving the past, sometimes the past in a good way, sometimes the past in a bad way. But Either way, there's a poignancy to that, right? You can even be remembering the happiest memory from someplace in the past, but, and, and it makes you happy to think about it, but there is still the poignancy of the fact that that is not now, right? So true joy not happening in the past, and we can spend a whole lot of time thinking about what may or may not happen in the future. And again, we might be thinking about all the good things that will happen in the future and planning for that. And that's not wasted time, right? Um, but it's not where true joy is. And we can spend time in the future thinking about what may happen and being worried about it. And for sure, there's no joy there, right? So true joy only happens in the moment. And so we're going to talk a little bit in our mindfulness tip about how do we get present and in this moment, even if that's not our thing, <laughs> even if we've never meditated, how can we get present and be in this moment? Because we're going to create some happiness today. Okay, so uh, on the show today, lots of things, including your questions, but coming up in the next hour, we have for the first time on the show, Jeremy Aldrich is going to be here with us. And I can't even tell you how excited I am about that. He is a brilliant director who directs a lot here in Los Angeles and is currently directing a project for CRE. We've had folks from CRE before on the show. They're a group that does shows with individuals who automatically have other needs. 
I, I get tired of saying special needs, but they have different abilities. Let's say that. I love what Howie Mandel says. Let's not talk about disability. Let's talk about this ability. Do you provide and they care do system? have other abilities. So um, they're going to be here. Uh, Jeremy's going to be here to talk about a very special show that uh, they've got going on right now. And it's called uh, The Boys Next Door. And for the first time, this will be a cast that has individuals with different abilities. And one of those cast members will be here with us uh, to talk about the role that he's playing, the role of Norman in The Boys Next Door. It's going to be really exciting. And I promised you yesterday that there's a special connection that I have with Jeremy Aldrich. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. It's a surprise. I'm not telling you until you come back. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, I'm going to answer some of the questions that you guys have written in. And if we have time, we will start to talk about mindfulness and how we are going to craft happiness. We're just going to get out our knitting needles and we are going to craft happiness in our lives because we have the ability to choose what we want to focus on. I know. I forget that all the time, but we do. We have the ability to choose. So first we're going to take a break and then we're going to be back to answer your questions. Stick with us. Say hello. Say hello. AJ. Stop crying. <laughs> AJ, let's eat. Can you eat, AJ? Let's eat, son. Have a fry. My understanding of autism was very limited. windows, you, you name it. And so we went to the 13-month checkup, and I remember our pediatrician, he said, well, he probably has autism. There's nothing you can do about it. Come back in a year when he's three. Our initial understanding of what the ABA program was was basically all we picked up from this clinic in San Antonio. He didn't pick up any signs the entire eight months that he was there. I think the difference came when we changed vendors. We were very impressed with the way that Card actually gathered data to be able to quantify the progress that he was making. They have a curriculum that they follow that's tailored to each child. So they were identifying AJ's strengths and weaknesses. We were finally starting to see real progress. Go ahead, AJ. Here's eggs. The first thing Card did for us was I remember the first time AJ said, Mommy, I want you. And that was the most wonderful thing ever. There's, there's hope. Yeah, there's that's when I knew that there was hope. I never thought that AJ would be able to say that. It was like a gift from God. It was so fantastic. With Card, we got him enrolled in a private school. And he was in a typical classroom. He would go from activity to activity. He could sit when he was supposed to sit. He could be around typical kids. The goal is for Card to work themselves out of a job. It's for AJ to be in a mainstream classroom with no help, and he's functional and he's learning. We're really grateful to all of the therapists. AJ would not be where he is without them, and we will never be able to repay the part of themselves that they gave to him to make his life better and to make our lives better.
Welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we are coming to you live from the Warner Center and taking your questions, especially on Facebook right now. I want to do a special shout out. I know there's a mom watching live who doesn't normally get a chance to watch live, so uh, you know who you are. So I want to talk a little bit about, we had a question that came in specifically about when kids go to school and when they don't go to school and what the choices are with that. And it's a very interesting consideration. So when a child is diagnosed with autism, uh, in some states, the school is going to want to take that child and put them into their early start program starting when they're three years old. Other states will start a little bit later, around four, but you're going to see that this, whenever the school does start their early start program, they're going to be very persuasive in asking you to bring the child to school. And part of that is because school is good, right? And school is an opportunity for kids to learn things. And we know that when kids interact with other kids, at least in general, they're gonna learn more. And there's another reason. The school gets funding federally and through the state when your child is there. And that helps them to be able to buy more things, to be able to help more kids. It's not that they're horrible people and that they want your kid to come to school, but we have to be mindful as the person making the choices for our kiddo about how much of it is actually what's best for our individual child and how much of it is a funding desire. And that's a really dicey thing to sort out because they're gonna put pressure. They're gonna tell you this is the best place for, their for your child and you know what? Sometimes they're right. I can't carte blanche say to you, nope, that is not what's appropriate for a child on the autism spectrum because sometimes, depending on the program and depending on the kiddo, it is exactly the right place. So there is no easy answer here. But what we find, and there are studies to back this up, is that for kiddos who are between the ages of three and five, there are a certain amount of skills that they have to have in the classroom setting for them to really be successful. And it is rare, I don't know if rare is the right word, it's more often the case that our kiddos don't have those skills. There are social skills that they have to be able to get through to be able to have any kind of interaction and have be beneficial from uh, peers around them. So for instance, if you have a three-year-old who is nonverbal and is not interested in peers, like they, at that age, at three, we're still seeing kids play side by side. They don't really, even neurotypical play, kids, play well together. They're still side by side play. But if your child is a child who doesn't even notice the other child, who does not respond when their name is said, won't, won't follow a group of kids, if a group of kids you know, suddenly swarm around, say, a box of candy, and your child is oblivious to that, then really, the chances are they're not going to have a very successful experience at school and it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be frustrating for the classroom, it's going to be frustrating for the teacher, and it's going to be frustrating for that kiddo because it's going to be a sensory overload for them. It's going to be a lot of noise. They're still in their little world and there's all this noise and people pushing and asking them to come over here and do this and it's not going to feel good for them. The truth is in those instances, we know from studies, there's a better place for them to be and that's having intensive one-on-one -on -one ABA therapy. Not to the exclusion of, of meeting and playing with other peers, but to have intensive, a one-on-one -on -one person running lessons with them and then taking them to interact with a peer. Can you do that at a school? Yes. 
It's just that so very few schools can afford to do that that almost no one has that program. I can think of maybe one hand full of schools across the country that offer that for the three-year-olds. So where do you get that? You get that by doing a center-based quality ABA program. Is the school going to give you a hard time about that? Yes, they will. And you have to know, I've got studies that I can show you that compare at three children who went to school in a TEACH program, which is a great program, uh, had a TEACH program, so they had something that was driven for autism um, to see what the benefits were, kids who stayed at home and had no educational program, and kids who did ABA intensively. And guess what they found? The kids who did ABA made so much more progress than the other kiddos. Now, you would expect that the kiddos who did the teach were like, you know, made a lot more progress than the kids at home. No. Um, they pretty much did almost exactly the same. So I know as a mom, when I looked at that, I was like, okay, I got to do a very intensive ABA program. And by the way, I should say, in all fairness, at that time, when, when that study was done, ABA was done in the home where kids didn't have interaction with other kids, so they were at home having ABA therapy. Now, you have the opportunity all across the country to get center-based, and it's not everywhere, but ask for it and push for it, because we know recent studies that have shown that it's 70 to 85% better, um, that you're gonna get better results if it's uh, center-based as opposed to home-based, because it has that element of a therapist will sit and do something with a child one-on-one -on -one, and then they go in the other room and then they're able to try it out with other children. It's really good. So we all need to be fighting for that within that age range. If you really feel that your child has those skills to be able to interact with peers and you want to put them in a preschool, um, you certainly can and the school will be happy to take you. Uh, and to work on that, you want to make sure that they have somebody helping them to be able to access what the other kids are doing, to prompt them, to play with the other kids, to help them to negotiate things that are difficult. But if you can do that, then uh, that child can make a tremendous amount of progress. The dicey thing becomes when sometime between when your child is five and six, the school will now say, you don't get a choice. Your child has to come to school. If you don't want your child to come to school, then you have to start a homeschooling program. And then there are parameters on that. And school will check in on you. And if you don't participate in these things, it's a legal issue, a federal legal issue. And you know the truancy officer gets involved, and it becomes a, a big, big deal. We have lots of families who have eight and nine-year-old and even 12-year-old uh, individuals on the autism spectrum who maybe didn't get the benefit of early intervention and feel like, wow, Shannon, did I miss the boat? What happened here? What can I still get what you had, that intensive ABA? The truth is that the only way you can get around being in the school system to get intensive ABA is if someone, a doctor, says, it's a medical necessity. If you think about it, if a student is skiing down a mountain and they break their leg, 
there's a period of time in which they're going to have to be in traction. They're not going to be able to come to school. And so they get a medical leave from school. Uh, they might have a tutor. They're, what's expected of them during that time period will be vastly different than a student that didn't break a leg, right? Um, and then consider that if there's something going on, let, let's say they had a head in, injury, a head trauma, that's a whole other realm of what needs to happen for them medically to be able to come back to school. For kids on the autism spectrum and kids who have related disorders, you can go to your doctor and say, I really would like to go all in and do an intensive ABA program, which means I need my child to take a medical leave from school. It doesn't mean your child's academics will go out the window. There are still academic things that can be worked on in an ABA session, but that's what it would take to, to have the school sign off on it. And if you do have the medical papers to take a medical leave, then the school has to allow you to do that. By the way, um, they have to allow you to do that when you go to clinics too. It's a medical necessity and they have to, they cannot in any way take away anything from your child for having to go to any kind of a doctor's appointment having to do with ABA because it's a medical necessity. So we had somebody who wrote in and said, my child's eight and I've taken my child out of school and I wanna do an intensive ABA program and the school is saying this and the school is saying that. So the quick answer for you is that you really gotta look at it and say, do I have a doctor who will say that this is a medical necessity? And if you do, it all gets infinitely easier. If you don't have a doctor who's gonna say that, the school is going to fight you and they're gonna win. Then you have to set up a home program. Um, and lots of people have been able to do that, have been able to do a homeschool program and include intensive ABA in it. I will tell you, it's a lot. It's a lot for the kiddo, it's a lot for you. Um, and because if you're the person who's managing it, it can be very, very overwhelming. And I want to set you up for success, not to set you up for any more overwhelm than you would have. But if you think that your child at any point is at school and that it's not benefiting them, and that you really could benefit from a 40-hour intensive behavioral intervention, just know those are the magic words, medical leave. Uh, the medical uh, ex exempt to be out of school, it's medical necessity. That's the word that I'm trying to say. Uh, okay, so that's, uh, that's that. I also, um, we had another parent who wrote in and said, what do I do? I'm going to paraphrase because I don't want to get into specifics, but um, that her husband is not on board. Everybody take a deep breath, right? First of all, I think it's important for anybody in the autism community to realize that our expectations of what we thought something was going to be are forever different. And that's the first thing that we have to let go of expectation, of the picture of what we thought our lives was going to be like. And I know it's scary because if you let go of that, it's like, well, what's left in its place? And it feels like maybe nothing is in its place. But the truth is, is once you let go of the expectation of who you thought you were going to be, who you thought your child was going to be, who you thought your significant other was going to be, and, you, and, and, and who you thought your other children were going to be, if you just let go of that and see where you're at, I promise you, you will see amazing things. 
I promise you, and you can come back and yell at me and say, Shannon, I didn't see anything amazing. I don't think that'll happen. But I promise you, and I've heard from so many parents, it really is the pivotal moment when you let go of that expectation, first of all with your kiddo, but also with your spouse. Um, I remember one dad saying to me, I feel so bad. I spent 12 years wanting my child to be somebody that he's never going to be. And the day that I stopped wanting that and saw who he was, I realized how much I had missed because he is amazing and he is the light of my life. He is my hero. And this dad was filled with gratitude of, oh, this is my kid. Every single parent has had some sort of dream about who their kid was going to be. Um, and, and no kid ever, autism or not, ever lived up to that, right? It's more of a let go when we have kiddos that have different abilities. It is. Especially the bigger those differences are, I think the bigger the let go is. But I encourage you, let go. And when you can do it with your child, then you can do it with your spouse. Part of what we need to realize is that no two spouses were ever on the same page for more than three seconds ever about anything. And when you do get exactly on the same page in the same moment at the same time, rejoice in it, but know that it's not going to last. And men and women are different. I don't, I don't think this is news to anybody, but we see a certain pattern that happens a lot in autism. That a lot of, there's always a project manager, and a lot of times that's mom, for whatever reason. I don't, I don't really know why, because I could say, well, because dad's working, but in most cases anymore, mom and dad are both working. But for whatever reason, a lot of times the project manager is mom. Not always, though. There are some dads that are project managers, and I don't want to leave them out of this. But whoever is not the project manager is always going to be running to catch up to where the project manager is. And the project manager is always going to have moments where uh, resentment would be easy to jump to, right? I heard a mom saying the other day, I spent all this time, I researched, I researched, I researched, we went to the IEP meeting and I've done all these things and I prepped my husband beforehand and said, we're going to do this, we're going to say this, we're going to be this way. And he was like, yep, yep, yep. She said, we got into the IEP meeting and somebody made a suggestion for something that was not on our plan and that her husband was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Why aren't we doing that? And the wife had already researched this and she said, I wanted to throttle him. I just, I was like, you know, can you be on the same page with me? Uh, <laughs> and I get it. I get it because I've, I've been there, done that. Uh, I've had the talk with my husband and said, you know, if you don't know, just look at me and I will send you the signal because chances are I already looked into that and that's a giant steaming pool of you know what and we don't want that. But they're going to sell it to us like it's the Taj Mahal, right? We've all been there, done that. Um, important though to let whoever the project manager is to let the other person say I am the project manager but I need your support and if you want to become the project manager then by all means you take it over but I am the project manager and if I'm going to be the project manager then your job is going to be in the supportive role you can ask questions and I will answer your questions, but not in front of other people. And I think it's really important to have those boundaries, to assign roles and say, here's what I'm in charge of, here's what you're in charge of, and thank each other for those roles. 
Now, in the beginning, you might have a spouse who doesn't want to thank you for what you do. Okay, that's heartbreaking, right? Because you'd like to be in a relationship with somebody who's thanking you for pulling your side of the, the ox wagon, right? But if they won't, keep praising them because we know that praise changes everything. Whenever somebody's doing something well, praise them and it will, will help. But beyond that, make sure that you focus on putting the boundaries up. I've told the story before on the show that my, when my mom, uh, when I first told her that my son had autism and my mom cried and said, not our baby, and which was hard for me. And I said, please don't do that. That's, that's not helpful to me. He's exactly the same person he was before, except now we know a little bit more about how we're going to help him. So don't, don't go there. Like, let's not do that. You know, wh why us? Why not us? Because it's happening to a lot of people. That wasn't helpful to me, right? And so I was very clear with her about that. And she said, well, I want to come. And I said, you know, I need to get my ducks in a row. I was very clear about having a boundary. I said, I need to, I need to get something started here. I'll let you know when you can come. Give us at least six months. Well, that was really hard for my mother. And then six months later when I called her and I said, you can come and visit now, but I need to be clear with you that I need either your support or your silence. And if you see something that I'm doing that you're not in support of, I just need you to keep zipped. That's all. This is what, because I, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with your feelings about this. I was being honest, right? And by the way, my mother did not like this even remotely, not even a little bit. She was like, support her silence, blah, blah, blah. you know, um, but I told her what my boundary was. And I said, that's, that's the condition upon you visiting. And it was really hard for her. And I allowed her to experience whatever she was feeling about it, right? Because we don't get a say in how other people feel about it. I allowed her her feelings. Sometimes she crossed the line and I would remind her, support her silence, and um, didn't stop speaking to her over it, didn't throw her out. You know, she made, she crossed my boundary um, several times, but she got there. She got there. And whenever she did a good job, whenever she gave me her support, I would say to her, thank you. You have no idea how much that means to me. I really care about your opinion, uh, which was what she needed to hear because the silence sounded like I didn't care about her opinion. But I, so I fed that for her and said, thank you, because it did mean a lot to me. And her behavior changed. But it's important to have boundaries, to set what the boundaries are and say, this is not helping me. Here is what I need for you to do to help me. I think um, when we tell especially the men in our lives, here's what I need for you to do. Here's what would actually help me. It is such a relief to them because they want to be there for us. But this is new to them too and they don't know what to do either. And a lot of times they get caught up in the, I got to do something, so I'm going to go make more money. Uh, and hey, that's not a bad thing either, but it tends to create that distance. So if you've got a spouse, male or female, who you feel like they're just not on the same page with you, instead of focusing on that, because that's going to be, focus on what are the boundaries that you need, telling them, communicating with them, here's what I need, hoping that they will communicate back what they need, and praise, 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 praise whenever they do something that actually helps you. Just like with our kiddos, if we praise behavior that we want to see, we will see more of it. It's a fascinating little thing that that happens. Uh, it's like a magic trick. Uh-oh, I'm doing things on the computer I shouldn't be doing.
All right. I'm just checking what the time is. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to uh, look and see if I can get uh, more of the questions that you guys have sent in. Uh, so if you have a question, now is the time to send it. Don't forget that in just a little while, we're going to be joined by Jeremy Aldrich and a member of his cast who is uh, performing in The Boys Next Door. So, and we're going to talk a little bit about why this production is so special. But when we come back, I think uh, we're, we're going to talk more about the creating happiness. So stick with us more after these messages. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living wish, learn, become. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get right, let's get wild. Let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. Hi, welcome back to Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman. Uh, we're here doing allergy-free cooking, and I brought my sister with me today. Jamie Davis, thanks yeah. for having me. A lot of people are asking about a allergy-free breakfast, and breakfast can be full of crap. You it, know, breakfast, but it's full of cereal. crap, and it's hard to do. We yeah. don't have time in the morning. We're in a hurry. We're going completely nut-free. The recipe is not Personality, we can't do yeah, anything can't about. Yeah, can't do anything about that. So we're going to start off first with um, I'm using sorghum and brown rice flour. It, I find the texture good, and I've added some flaxseed meal. We talked about that last time, flaxseed meal for poop. Almost every one of our kids has a poop issue. What's next on the recipe is the quinoa flakes, baking powder, cinnamon, and the xanthan gum. It brings the glutinous texture back into the flour, and often what happens with these recipes is they can fall apart. This one holds up nicely. I like it. 
For the folks that are egg free, we have a ton of egg replacers. One of those can be the arrowroot starch or bringing back some additional flaxseed. So there's a lot of options to go eggless, but we're gonna go egg full in this one. For sweetener, I use the maple syrup. I stay away from refined sugar. What I'm adding now is the coconut uh, milk, maple syrup, and a little bit of the coconut oil. And we're gonna add in the raisins, craisins, and chocolate chips at the end. I find that chocolate chips can coax people to eat some really amazing things. When we started, Jeff had 42 food allergies, so we had to get creative in how we cooked. So nuts were a big, big issue. What I like now is that he can tolerate so many more things after we start doing this diet. So let me show you how you can deal with this um, sticky stuff here. You get your fingers really wet and you can push it down. So my oven has been preheated. It's at um, 350 degrees. So we're gonna just throw this in. Like I said, I like it around 23 minutes and the magic oven says, I'm done. Looks like. Don't you love magic ovens? They're awesome. Here we go, pops right out. The texture of these, and it's so pretty. It looks almost like a big chocolate chip cookie, but you actually made it healthy. But you can be wow. my guinea pig. Tell me what you think. It looks really good. Doesn't it? So the textures and the colors in there are just beautiful. So the raisins are for you, the chocolate chips are for your kid. I can't believe it's gluten free. I know, right? It doesn't taste like, you know, crap. crap. <laughs> <laughs> We're wrapping up another cooking show. If you have feedback, you can email us at autismlive at gmail.com. We're, of course, on Facebook. You could go to facebook.com slash autismlive. And, of course, Taka Now has thousands of recipes. Join me there, and we can um, cook some more later on. So thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Autism Live. I want to get to talk about happiness, but I also like to answer questions that people have written in. On the live feature, somebody says, can you explain what pairing is when discussing ABA? How long does the process take? And how do you know the place you have chosen is doing it well? Okay, I'm not sure what that means, the place that you have chosen is doing it well. Oh, I think I think the ABA provider. So um, pairing is when, it's a very simple thing. It's when you take one thing that somebody loves and you pair it with something that they have a non-reaction to and you do it over and over and over again. And what we find is that if it's a, a thing that they really love, um, that they tend to start to like the thing that they had a non-reaction to. So where this comes into play with ABA is that a lot of times our kids, um, for instance, I always like to have skills on the, the countertop because I refer to skills. Uh, in skills, there's eight different curricula areas where they've been able to segment out and say, you just saw a commercial for skills living a minute ago and that has 16, but in, for younger kids, eight different curricula areas and one of them is play. Now, I know for a lot of parents, they're like, um, hello, I need language, and I, you know, I need my kid to talk, and I don't need for you to work on my, ch my child uh, learning how to play, except that that's not a good way to look at it. Because if somebody doesn't know how to play, they don't have a way in which to work like their sandbox, a, a place to try things, a place to you know, fail and not have it be epic. You know what I'm saying? So all of us had the opportunity to play as kids and to, you know, try out being a fireman. 
um, to know whether we wanted to be a fireman. All of us had the opportunity to, to play and, and to take on different personas and, and to become creative. And, and a lot of the complaints that I see from parents of teenagers who go, why, why my kid only knows how to do one thing and they only play video games and they play one video game and they're inflexible. And why is this? And part of it is, is that we didn't teach them how, and we teach flexibility using toys. We put up PlayStations and they go from one to the next to the next, right? But in the very, very beginning, kiddos don't like to play not in the way that we're asking them to play because it feels like work to them. It isn't something, and they don't even like toys sometimes. So, you know, we take a, a, a toy, a Fisher Price toy, and we put it in front of a neurotypical kid and they start banging on it and it makes noise. And the, the kid, and then everybody goes, yay, you know, and the kid goes, oh, the people went, yay, and I got the noise. This is, and they, they play and they play. Now this is building finger skills. And it's, they're learning cause and effect. And all these things are happening as a result of them playing on this toy. For a kiddo who's on the spectrum, this is not how this scenario goes. Somebody puts the toy in front of them and they don't care about that. Like, what is that? Uh, this is no meaning to me whatsoever. And they take the child's hand and they bang on it and it makes noise. And now the child goes, I don't like this. I don't, and you know, now they're like, ah, oh, this thing makes noise. This is painful to my ears. I don't like that. And now there's noise coming from the adults and they're making movements. And, and it's like, could everybody, you know, get that away from me. I don't want to play with that. So we need to first make toys and play and the people who are going to be working on this with them to be something that's positive. So we're going to pair it with other things. We find out what the child really, really likes. So if the child loves lemonade, then every time uh, we're going to take lemonade and, and we're going to be very deliberate about it. Um, we're going to only serve lemonade when the therapists come to do therapy. So we're going to make therapy more pleasant because you get your favorite thing, lemonade during therapy, right? We're going to, um, you know, let's say, uh, there's one toy. I remember the mom who wrote to us that the only toy that her child liked was this, uh, book from the Lion King. And so we're going to take that. And we're, we're going to make that the pleasurable experience. And when we go to play with another toy, we're going to take that book with us and we're going to pair it with, and that's the only time we're going to read that book. And that's an important part of this is that we're just, because if we have the book all the time, it's not going to be as effective. It takes however long it takes. And it, and a part of how you look about whether or not the place that you've chosen to take your child to the ABA provider, whether they're being effective with it is they need to be asking questions about what does your child like. Um, you're a big part of it as a parent because they're going to say to you, what's something that your child likes that you're willing to put parameters on it and not give it to them all the time? So your child loves ice cream. We're only going to give ice cream for things that we want to be happy embedded memories. We said we were going to talk about creating happiness. Think. I, I told you, joy doesn't happen in the past, but think about something that's a happy memory in the past and ask yourself, what do you remember about that? Because uh, a lot of times it, we will remember sensory things about it. Like you right, might remember the smell of something or the taste of something or the feel of something, right? A lot of times people 
have these great memories from their childhood that are tied to food. Well, when we used to go for ice cream, you know, it was this pleasant, pleasant memory. And we tend to think, I'm going to go get ice cream because ice cream is a pleasurable, pleasurable thing. Well, the truth is that probably more of the pleasurable thing was that the whole family went together, right? Um, and we still have the ice cream because it's been linked, it's paired. Well, we went, we went together as a family. We got the ice cream. Now I love ice cream. Um, thank you. Uh, so I, I think it's important that, you know, we, we were very mindful about pairing, knowing what we're pairing it with. You as the parent have to be willing to limit that thing and some things you can't limit or you shouldn't limit or you wouldn't limit, right? So they should be asking you, what are you willing to limit? You have to be willing to limit it. And then it takes however long it takes. But and different individuals, it takes different amounts of time. But um, you should start to see some improvement. And if you don't see improvement, then they should tweak it a little bit because if the thing isn't pleasurable enough, then it won't pair very effectively. It'll take twice as long. Does that make sense? Uh, I know that when my son started having therapy, it was so pleasurable for him that he would be excited when, you know, they knocked at the door and, and I would be like, oh, therapist is here. He would just dance across the floor to go to the door, to open up the door and see which one of them it was because he was going to be excited and they were going to play and it was going to be a good time. There were difficult sessions. There were times that my son cried, but they had effectively paired that when a therapist comes to the door, good things are going to happen. So he was willing to do the hard things. He was willing to have them there with him and, and get frustrated, right? So be careful um, to make sure that your child, like they, what are they pairing? Because uh, they should be pairing the therapist with pleasurable things. They should be pairing um, uh, toys and play so that we have, the reason why we do that is so that we have more than one reinforcer. If the, for the little boy who liked the Lion King book, we wanted him to like 10 things so that we had 10 things to reward him with, right? Uh, hopefully that didn't confuse you more. In any case, uh, we're gonna take uh, a break because we have guests here and I wanna get to our guests as soon as we possibly can. So coming up, we have Jeremy Aldrich. Uh, he is directing a project for CRE. He's gonna explain to us what that is. Uh, and the project is The Boys Next Door, and we have one of the cast members here with us as well. I'm very excited to meet him. So stick with us. We're going to be back after these messages. Potty training is different for every child. A child could come in with absolutely you know, no control over their bladder, and as long as that's not a medical issue, then we can certainly approach it behaviorally and give them the tools they need to be successful, you know, just like any other skill that we would teach. Well, we think he's learning to pee on the potty. No big successes yet and lots and lots of accidents. Here is the laundry from today. For some of our kids, it takes you know, just a couple days. And then for other kids, it can take months and months and months. And then when you're looking at complete independence, it can take years. Hey, you have to go pee pee? There's a lot of different ways to tell if a child is ready. We look for a couple different things. Um, probably the most important is parents saying, I need this to happen, I'm ready. Second is you know, a child showing interest in the bathroom, and some of it is simply age. It's time to go ahead and, and work on this.
You're pooping? You first start with teaching the child what they need to do on the toilet. The basic thing we want is for them to drink as much liquid as possible. It's inevitable that if you drink a bunch of liquid, you're gonna pee. Help. No, no, you, no, I can't help you pee. Help. I can hold your hand, but I can't help you pee. Ultimately, what we want is that, you know, the child, as soon as they're put on the toilet, they urinate. So that's step one. Step two is usually um, working through the amount of time that they're off of the toilet and making sure that they're not having accidents during the time that they're off. So this is kind of the bladder control stage of things. So the purpose of the potty log is just to see how long it takes them as soon as they sit on the potty for them to actually urinate and the amount of time that um, he's able to hold his urine. And with the log, we're able to visually see how long it takes them each time, if it's accidents or not. He's on a half hour potty schedule, so if he doesn't go when we take him, then we have to take him in 10 more minutes. So every 10 minute intervals until he does go. And then we reset the clock and it's 30 minutes again. Okay, buddy, okay, last chance, last chance to go pee-pees. Which means reset it for 10. What we hope happens in this time is that the kids will learn how to initiate going to the bathroom on their own. This is oftentimes the hardest part of potty training is because they get so used to somebody telling them when they need to go that they're not really recognizing the signs just in their own body of when they need to go. The biggest thing for parents is not to give up. The other big tip, and I think pitfall that a lot of parents fall into, is putting their children back into pull-ups or diapers, especially if they're starting to have accidents. And this is probably the worst thing that you can do. They need to recognize that feeling of fullness in their bladder and take themselves to the bathroom or tell an adult that they need to go to the bathroom. What do you have to do? You have to put your pee pee in them? Hello there, fellow activist. You're an activist because you're making the world a better place for someone living with autism. Now on Autism Live, you learn all about your children. You learn about their bodies and their brains. But this empowerment moment is all about you. It's about your heart and your soul. Now don't worry, I'm not gonna have you start singing Kumbaya or doing chanting. Let's talk about blessings. One of the blessings of living with a child with autism is learning to love them unconditionally. Learning to love them despite all the ups and downs, all the sacrifices. In fact, 
you learn to love them more so because of them. I call this my empowerment prayer. God grant me the wisdom to see my disability as an opportunity, the courage to love my child unconditionally, and the faith to live a life of purpose. So going from the sublime to the ridiculous, I have a little song for you today. It's a rap song, so I know that an old or, okay, middle-aged white woman rapping just doesn't seem right, but I'm gonna go for it anyway. My style is a little like Nicki Minaj meets Dr. Seuss. Nancy's Autism Rap. It's just a diagnosis, your life's not over. Don't lay there like a dog, get up, Rover. You say your head is spinning with GFCF. ABA, IEPs, and neurofeedback? Autism's tough, that much is true. But you'll survive because you're you. Your life's not over, it's just begun. So walk out that door and go be someone. More Dr. Seuss than Nicki Minaj. Until next time, stay strong and keep the faith. Welcome back to Smarty. This month we're going to be creating a popsicle puzzle. As we do this fun activity, you'll notice these icons will pop up. These icons tell you important information about the skills we're using to create the craft and where you can find them on the skills program. Skills is an ABA based tool that helps parents create a curriculum that will help their children that are on the autism spectrum. Well, let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are popsicle sticks, tape, and arts and crafts materials. So step one, you're gonna take your popsicle sticks and lay them down and cover them with tape so they don't move around. Now that my popsicle sticks have been secured with tape, here comes the fun part. You're gonna take your arts and crafts materials, they can be paint, markers, whatever you have, and then you're gonna decorate this with a beautiful texture. This is the beautiful picture that I made. Now what I'm gonna do is remove the tape. And now, as you can see, they come apart. And here is your awesome puzzle. Now, the fun part is trying to assemble the picture that you just made now that it's all been separated. I hope you enjoy this activity with me. Until next time, guys, craft on. To find more about skills and to access all of the lessons you saw in today's Smarty, visit skillsforautism.com and click on the parents icon, Skills, the online autism solution. Welcome back. I am so excited right now. I, I'm a buzz because I have in the studio Jeremy Aldrich for the first time. This is like a plot that, to make sure <laughs> that I got you here at some point. Oh, and so he sad. is here with August McAdoo, who's been here before. Yes, um, and I'm thrilled to have you back here in the studio. Very glad to be back. And you guys are here to talk about a very special production of The Boys Next Door, which Jeremy, you're directing. Yes. And August, you're playing the role of Norman yes. in The Boys Next Door. Okay. And I want to talk about all this before I get into everything else because I have so much exciting to say. Okay. But, um, 
Um, this is being produced by CRE. That's Tell us, Jeremy, what CRE is, what that stands for, and what it is. Okay, so CRE Outreach is a 501c3 uh, arts organization that works with underserved communities. Um, we do art, basically art therapy. Um, we have uh, projects and classes, different things uh, that, that we do using art to uh, create, reflect, and empower. So that's what CRE stands for, is Create, Reflect, and Empower. So we're hoping to create art, uh, or we do create art, uh, that reflects the communities um, that we're serving, and then empowering both the people that are in the projects mm -hmm. and the people that are able to come and uh, hopefully be inspired uh, to improve their lives. So that's CRE Outreach. We have um, our Theater by the Blind uh, program, and we have our VET program, uh, which works with people that uh, suffer from PTSD as a result of their experiences. Um, we also have Rex and Friends, which August is a part of, which is a music program that helps people with autism. Uh, and uh, Rex is also blind, so there's also uh, folks that have vision impairment in that mm -hmm. group. And then um, lastly, we have a, uh, the ADA program, which is a music program for after school children so they do a lot amazing yeah. amazing organization and you're and you're a part of this yes and how long have you been a part of this um i've been with rex and friends now for what is 2018 we got started back in 2014 so about uh going on four years in december and so four years of this what has it done for you august oh, it's, oh my god it's done a lot really <laughs> it's given me a chance to you know, get out and show people what I can do, you know, not let my disability limit me. You were talking earlier about, I love what Howie Mandel says about, let's stop saying disability, let's start talking about this yeah. ability, there which, I, I, like which I really love, because uh, clearly you, you've got a lot of ability, and, and this gives you an opportunity to be able to let that shine. Absolutely. And that's, you're going to shine in The Boys Next Door, which is opening October 12th. October yes. 12th, yes. Where? Uh, it's going to be at the Blue Door Theater in Culver City. It's a... CRE now has a home theater that we, uh, for, for ourselves, it's a 50-seat theater right on Venice Boulevard. Um, and uh, they raised $250,000 of in-kind donations and renovated it into a really nice little theater. So um, they've had, uh, I think, two productions there. This is the third yeah. production in the new yeah. space. But it's so amazing to have our own space because, uh, you know, we have actors who often had to come into new theaters and learn new spaces very, in very short amount of time mm -hmm. when they're visually impaired. So it's a huge um, advantage to have our own space that we can be in, that they can learn, and uh, when you come to the show, you'll see that they're comfortable in their space as they would be uh, you know, in their own home or somewhere. So we get to see folks that are, are working at their you know, the peak of their abilities and able to tell the story in a great way. Love it. And this is a very special show, yes. uh, both in, in its original form, yes. a, a very <laughs> special show, yes. but you're doing a very special production of it. We believe this is the first time that anybody has done this show 
uh, with a cast that is as diverse as what you have in your cast. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. As, as mm -hmm. to my knowledge, it is. So, the talk, let's talk a little bit about for people who aren't familiar with the play itself, mm -hmm. uh, what it features, and then who the who the cast is and what their abilities are. Okay, great. Um, so. The Boys Next Door um, deals with a social worker and uh, four, primarily four men who are living together uh, in kind of a halfway home situation where they're looking to mainstream uh, into society. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the heart of the play is uh, what we're discovering is really about the friendship and uh, that that the friendship and support that Jack is supplying to and he's the, the social boys. worker he's correct? a social yes. worker so yes. um, but what we're discovering is that he discovers throughout the show his real and true connection and love for these people um, and uh, and vice vice versa um, so it's really it's really coming together and it's uh, I'm really interested it's the third time I've been involved in the show I was involved wow. in it, as you know, in college. I played Norman. Yeah, what? Did you yeah. know that? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> he doesn't know, but this is great. Yeah, this so. is great. Oh man. So I played Norman in college. Yes. Um, then and I, beautifully, I must say. Well, thank you very much. And um, and then uh, directed it. Uh, you know, you hired me to direct it in Santa Clarita, <laughs> and wow. we did some great work there yeah. as well. Uh, so this is the third time, and I, I pitched it to CRE. And I've been pitching it for years. And I've been pitching it for the reason that I think it's a beautiful opportunity for uh, the actors that are involved with CRE to do a published work, number one, um, to really take on a full play. And then also to be able uh, to bring the authenticity of, of actors that have their own challenges and their own um, struggles and victories and uh, their life experience to bring to these characters that also have you know, uh, profound challenges. And throughout the process and rehearsal, you know, we've had some really wonderful conversations and discoveries along that line. It's, um, so that I really think it's gonna be uh, valuable. It's valuable for, I hope for them and, and also for the audiences that'll come see it. I, yes. I, I honestly yeah. wish you'd had a film crew following you through the whole rehearsal process because I'm sure it would have been documentary worthy. Right? Yes. Right? Last night was documentary worthy, yeah, wasn't it? It really was. <laughs> was it, it really epic? Was. Yes, it was. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I sense some drama. Drama's always good. Yes. Um, okay, so, but in, so these gentlemen that are living in the house, mm -hmm. they have, I, oh, I said earlier, I hate saying special needs, but each one of them has a different place that they're coming from, the reason why they can't just live on their own. Yes, that's right. Um, and do we ever define, I mean, I, I know having seen the show several times, to me, certain things spring up in terms of diagnoses, but do we ever actually define what the diagnosis is for the different four gentlemen in the play? Uh, yes, uh, somewhat. Um, so uh, Barry, uh, who is actually being played by a, a gentleman named Coco, uh -huh. uh, he is a schizophrenic. So he, that's actually that's actually uh, defined. And uh -huh. uh, Arnold, who is uh, being played by Oh my Lord, I'm gonna forget his name right Lee. now. Lee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm. Uh, I'm asking Pug you a Lee, lot. <laughs> yeah, Lee, Lee, Lee Pugsley is playing Arnold. Um, he's not very actually defined. He just says he's somewhat a depressive and he's kind of very in general terms. 
Although he comes across to me as being very much an Asperger. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, right. but that, you know, the play, the play's written in the 80s. And, you right. know, some of the stuff we've had, we've had a little bit of updating to do. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Tom Griffin. Uh, so just a touch, <laughs> yeah. uh, because, you know, some of the language that was very much in vogue in the 80s is yeah. not, not in vogue. Not PC, absolutely. Uh, and, 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 and it's not descriptive either. Yes. So, you know, like Norman is described um, by Tom as um, uh, originally as retarded. Which is Dang. a, which is a, yeah, uh, which is not actually not a, working for us, is it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not at all. It's not working, but but so um, talking about my generation. <laughs> so, we, so we develop, we, we've changed that description to developmentally disabled. Got it. Um, but that also isn't super tight, right? Uh, but it is uh, less insulting, right? So, right. Um, so yeah, uh, Norman is not really defined. Um, let's see who are the other, and then Lucian. Lucian, Lucian is also basically just uh, that he has a, a, an impairment, a, like a brain impairment. Like yeah. he's uh, um, he's the most severely affected by yeah. his um, challenge. So, um, and now you've cast individuals. Did you cast all males? Yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because it's wor worth asking, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and and are but all we, yes, but uh, but we cast two females uh, to play three. There are six. There are six parts that are on the outside of the four yes. boys, and um, only and two of those are female. Before before uh, four of the characters are not, but we cast all six of those as female to Lovely. to help balance the Lovely. you know balance the show out. Okay, mm -hmm. and so of uh, you know I hate to sort of put it in this category, but it's it's one of the most interesting things about that I wanted to talk to you guys about. So you you're using people of different abilities. Did you match those to characters? So if you had some, obviously not, right? Oh, yeah. Um, because uh, how do you identify yourself, August? Um. I identify myself as a person that, you know, has mild mild autism. That, you know, if you if you look at me, I'm just I I, I would look just like you yeah. or just like anybody else. But behind my behind my quote unquote normal looking self, I have I have sort of, I have things that I get hung up on. I I notice. Um, hmm. I think that's a perfect answer. You don't even need to say more than that. But but to take someone who identifies as having mild autism and cast them as someone who we're saying has developmental delay, it's a very interesting choice. Now the person who would would have been defined more as Aspergers. It, like what? What do, can you talk to us about how those people identify? How those actors identify? Is it appropriate oh, to ask? Oh, so like Lee, who's playing yes. at, uh, Arnold. He's so he's from Theater by the Blind. Okay. So he um, he has about like I think about five percent, ten percent vision. Okay. Very very low uh, vision, and um, is you know he is successfully. <laughs> Playing Arnold for sure, uh, but his um, he doesn't have a 
he doesn't have anything relating to Asperger's or anything or anxiety disorder. He's I love this as an acting, actor. You know, right. He's acting it. The thing, though, that's interesting I want to say is that I also, one of the things that personally inside of CRE, we have a lot of conversation about uh, product and about pieces that we're going to pick and mm -hmm. how the actors portray themselves. And one of the things that I've done in this play is that the let's say the folks that are from T, uh, TBTV from Theater by the Blind, mm -hmm. I'm not asking them to play sighted. So Arnold in, in the play, we're talking about Arnold, mm -hmm. Lee is Lee. Yeah. Uh, and he's bringing himself fully to the part. I'm also, you know, I'm also asking Norman, uh, you know, August. August is bringing himself fully to the part. Mm -hmm. So 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 it's um, but on top of that, he's also playing the, condi the, the condition, the condition that's written into the role. Absolutely, and so, um, so you know, yeah. So it's it's more of a the way I imagine it is. Um, I mean, Arnold has huge amounts of uh, issues with uh, organization and and command and. Um, he's he's extremely rigid and it's anxious. A control freak. Yeah. yeah, he's like a little control freak. And wait till you see it. I can't wait because it it just amplifies. It, yeah, it amplifies everything. So you know he has to command others it, when he in this production mm -hmm. he might not be able to run over immediately to do something for himself. Mm -hmm. So you know in that moment, so he is commanding others to do everything for Love him. Love it. You know, so and it, it really informs it. It does inform it. So that's a really, it, it's, it's exciting. It's really interesting. It is, it is such an interesting concept. Now, one of the things that I, when we sort of teased that we were going to have this conversation today, yesterday, I said, there's a, there's a moment in, I hope I'm not giving things away for people to come. To, is it okay to talk about? I mean, sure. I don't know what you're going to say. Okay. <laughs> I, I would think that you would. There's a moment in, yeah. with each character in the play mm -hmm. where we get to see who this person would have been had this roadblock, whatever it is, not been put in their way. Yeah, technically only two, but yeah. I thought we saw it with all four. I no? would, wouldn't that, it would be nice, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's to the playwright. No, we, uh, <laughs> okay. We get, so, no, we get, yes, we get that, we get that for Lucian. I thought we got that with We get all that four. for Sheila, no? and we get that for Norman. I guess I don't know this play as well as I thought I did. That's okay. Um, no, but, it, but, but yes, you had, that does occur. And so that's got to be a very particular, interesting, are, since you've asked these actors to bring what they have, then, mm. well, obviously Arnold doesn't have that moment then, so you're not, would you, if that moment were in there, would you have asked Lee to play that sighted? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And for you, when you have this transformative moment with Norman, mm -hmm. what is that like for you? Well, for me, it's, it's like, okay, uh, Norman, you you work at a donut shop. You uh, you obsess over your keys because you don't want because I don't want anybody to touch my keys. I'm speaking as Norman. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want anybody to touch my keys because I can't get into things without them. Right. Number one. Number two. Sheila's my Sheila is my life. She's my love. I love her, and, but I also love donuts. <laughs> <laughs> And that is Norman, yes. right? So yes. now, uh, so in the moment 
we've got a few moments actually for him that are some that are not necessarily written in, but uh, we've got the the moment where you uh, talk about the movies, right, with oh, her, yeah, and yeah. you get to fully use oh, your yes. baritone voice, right? Yes. He's got this moment where I sort of come he out has of this Cavan Casanova moment with Sheila, mm -hmm. and then when you, when at the end of the act when you're dancing when, in the, during the dance, which we're still working on a little right. bit, but because um, we had a new Sheila coming to the production, and if I could take one moment just yeah. to say. Uh, Sylvia Taylor, Sylvia, we are missing you, and we love you, and we're thinking of you and your Always. recovery. She had she was originally cast as um, Sheila, and she had a stroke. Oh, uh, uh, to she had a complication uh, a couple weeks in, so um, we had to have a new Sheila come in. Mm -hmm. But we're thinking about Sylvia. We know you're doing great. Always. Yay. Love you, babe. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, all of our thoughts and prayers out to you, Sheila. Wonderful. And so great that you were able to get another actress who stepped in. We were, yeah. How's that for you? For me, it, it's, it's, um, I want to say it's good, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's appropriate. It's, it's good. It's good. It, it's an, it's a little bit. It's a little bit more challenging, which I love. I love a challenge. Yeah. So whenever you you know you get used to doing something with one person and change it, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. And uh, but I, I here's one of the things that has been very much in discussion lately. You know, um, a friend of the show is uh, Kobe Bird, and Kobe is a young actor. He's 16 years old on the autism spectrum. He's uh, brilliant performer and recently a year ago he got cast in the good doctor oh, to yeah. play Whoa. to play a boy on the spectrum Wow! and it was one of the first times Thanks. in oh my goodness isn't that exciting I've been waiting a long time to hear that well but now there's even there's even more people because a typical this last year cast four I think they have like 18 people on the show now that are on the spectrum but four core members of the cast right. are on the autism spectrum. We're really seeing a change now. Wow. So the next change that we're looking for right. is to see a person who's on the autism spectrum be cast as someone who's not on the autism spectrum. Wow. Which is what you're doing. You are playing somebody who's not on the autism spectrum. Wow. I didn't even, that, that never crossed my mind. But that's the truth. Wow. And that's very exciting. Mm. You're at the forefront you're pioneering for a whole bunch of people who are coming behind you. Wow. It's pretty exciting. Yes, it is. Uh, and I think it's remarkable when we find directors and producers who are willing to do this, so I salute you. Like this guy. This, Thank you. This is like an epic sort of thing to take on. Were you sure when you took this on that, that you were going to be able to do it, Jeremy? Or was there a little bit of trepidation? Well, <laughs> we're in production week, so there's still trepidation. Ah, got it, got it. Like, uh, everything you know, has not been solved yeah, yet. You, of sorry, you, you know production week. Yeah. Um, you know, um, the foundation that CRE has, you know, years and years and years of work, I think that's a really great foundation to have in the support of the organization that has some so much experience mm -hmm. so that you know felt that that's that's the place to do it you know and then to have uh, if you need resources or advice mm -hmm. I've been able to reach out to Greg Shane I think who you had on this uh, I? I think you did I think I yeah I think Greg I um, from CRE from CRE yes, yes, very yes, yes. dynamic fellow 
one of the founders. He, um, you know, when we've had some challenges in the process, I have been able to reach out to him and he's had some really great advice, techniques, um, things to do. He's worked with August some yeah. on, uh, mm -hmm. independ independently mm -hmm. running lines and ways to match physical actions with text, uh, right? Yes. And do some physicalization exactly and right. to help with memory and so on. And, um, you know, so I'm learning, you know, uh, as we go along um, about how to be a better director in this, you know, in, in this circumstance and in this process. So I'm learning as well. Um, I didn't ever think it, I didn't ever think it would be in an, any, there wouldn't be an insurmountable challenge. I didn't think that, you know, otherwise we wouldn't set a date, right, to open it. Well, but you're I, a brilliant uh, director. Thank you. Uh, that, you, and I, I think that you are somebody who takes on challenges. I think that's who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and I have seen in you that there is a sensitivity, which I appreciate. Thank across you. Across the board. But I've discovered, I, you know, natural, let's say a natural sensitivity or a, just a natural ability with people, let's say, only goes so far. Um, and I think that it's important to humble oneself and realize like, hey, uh, you know, I may not have all the tools or the experience here on my own to do the best job that, mm -hmm. that I, you know, like to do. So, um, but the willingness, but yes. And, and as you said, the, the humbleness, is that the word that I want? The yeah, humility, humility, the humility to say that I th we just need so very much more of that. In, in our world and in theater. Um, you and I have had conversations. I said, I promised all of them that I would disclose how you and I first met, that mm. you and I have, you and I go way back. Yes. Um, I, I would love to claim you as a student, but I've been thinking about it and I don't know that I really get to claim you as one of my students. Why do not? I? Because I, I, the only, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the only, when I was teaching college mm -hmm. and uh, Jeremy was one of the students at the college that I was teaching at, but I, the only class that I recall you being in was senior seminar. Am I wrong? Uh, the most important class I ever took uh, in well, uh, college. That's a very sweet thing to no, say. No, it's 100% true. I was thinking about it on the way over here um, that you were, well, we had wonderful professors at Oswego. We were, it, you know, the art was being taught very well. Ron Medici, uh, Mark Cole, uh, beautiful teachers. Yes. Um, however, uh, you came and said, hey, if you guys are really looking to do this, there's some skills you need. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, you know, and, and we did that, right? We prepared ourselves to go out and take the craft that we had learned at the school and to actually go apply it somewhere instead of learning that on the fly, which yeah. many of the students from the program had had to do before. So it was extremely, I, so I think you can claim me as a student. And, well, um, that's sweet. Uh, so, yeah, yeah so, uh, and but... you directed me as well. Uh, yes, yeah. I directed you, but I never had you in an acting class, which was, the, you know, I would have thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and we they did monologues. And they did, did we? Did like six. Our okay. final was to do like six monologues. All right. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I had you guys do that. That was a good thing to do. I still have those in my book. All right, right fabulous. Um, but so that was the first go-round. And I have to say... Um, you know, one of my things in life, as as because I used to be an actress too, mm -hmm. is that you get you don't get to be outside yourself, you don't get to see what you're doing, and so in life 
you're going to meet directors and sometimes they're not always going to be as great as Jeremy is and that can be very frustrating. You have to find a way to be able to work and understand what it looks like and make yourself happy as an artist no matter who you're working with. Mm -hmm. They call it being director proof, right? <laughs> um, and one of the things that oh I God. right, one of the things that I've always said is in your life as an artist, you have to cultivate people who have that are like-minded. That you go to the theater with people and you talk afterwards about how you felt about it, what you saw, and when you see people that think like you do, you go, great. Because mm -hmm. then if I ask your opinion of something, I'm going to know that you have the same sensibility that I have. First time I ever went to a play with you and there was a conversation afterwards and you were, I think you were a senior. Uh, and, oh. and you remember which play it was? Marie Avec Toi. See, we remember so, so distinctly. Um, and afterwards, there were a group of people standing around talking, and they, were, and they were saying a bunch of different things, and Jeremy sat there and he said, I don't know, maybe I didn't get it, but I thought it was horrible. <laughs> and I went, no, 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 I think you got it, I'm with you. Right. right? And we were having conversations about things that everybody else was like, but I saw this and I saw that, and I was like, yeah, no. Uh, I'm I'm with him, uh, and ever since then I have looked at your sensibility, and I, you do work that I love. Thank you. You have always, even as a student, done work that I loved and said this is good work. Thank you. Um, so I not only respect your work, I respect your opinion, um, and count on you in my community as somebody that I respect your opinion. Uh, he's pretty special. Yeah, he is. Did you know that before this? No, I didn't. Yeah. But, but in my time getting to, you know, work with Jeremy, you know, rides home, rides to rehearsal, to photo shoots, getting to talk with him, you know. He gives you a ride to rehearsal? From, Above some, and beyond. Sometimes, sometimes he would. He'd give me a ride. He gives me rides home sometimes, you know, because I'm literally right down the street from the theater. I hmm. see. And getting to talk with him, getting to, you know, pick his brain about, you know, just acting in general. Yeah. It's, he's one of the best in the world. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, I'm getting uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make room for your head in the studio later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we, we want to remind people, though, that this production, there are still tickets available. Yes, and you can go to... Uh, CREoutreach.org and go ahead and pick up tickets. Tickets are only $15. Um, it's, a, it's a 50 seat theater. It's very intimate. Not a bad seat in the house. We're sold out for opening night and we're getting close for the weekend, but get in there opening weekend and. Uh, and are you doing a show. preview weekend before? No, it looks like we're opening, uh, opening right on the 12th. Opening on the 12th. Okay. And um, so where do I have to go to get tickets? What's the website? So it's CREoutreach.org. CREoutreach.org. Yeah. Okay. And what's the neighborhood that the theater's in? It's in Culver City. And, and it's what's right the parking on, situation like? Uh, there's uh, tons of street parking, and there's also um, some uh, parking structures right in the area. So um, should be should be okay. Okay. We never have a problem. I want to take a little bit of a break and then I want to come back and if it's okay with you, I want to talk about uh, when I came to see a show that you did and something that happened and some of the conversations that we've had since then. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. I didn't ask you beforehand yeah, and I'd I love know. to get your opinion so that we can talk about this as a group because it's been something 
um, kind of that registers kind of big on my horizon. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay, so we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be right back after these messages. You don't. You at the Future Horizons uh, Super Conference in Dallas, Texas. It helped me in a way because it was a format that I was not used to. Like, I had never curled my hair before. I've never worn heels. I didn't know what foundation was. And it was just, uh, it was a very, like, it helped me more in a business sense. Like, I know how to present myself in front of people now. That's, that's something my mom drilled into my head. Um, I have trouble sometimes with it. Like, you introduced yourself to me downstairs, and so I immediately, like, and I've heard of you before, so I was like, I know this person. I can make eye contact with this person. And um, if I'm talking to someone I don't know or if I'm listening to someone give a speech, most of the time my head will be down. I don't look at people in the eye, but if it's someone I know I need to make eye contact with, I make eye contact. But my mom, growing up, she... Uh, especially after the diagnosis, she would always like grab my hand if I was like, you know, looking everywhere else for her, and she'd like say, "Look me in the eye." And so she wouldn't let go of my hand until I looked her in the eye. I do feel like I have to be so tall because, you know, sometimes there'll be jokes I don't understand, but I'll laugh at anyway. Uh, there'll be uh, situations that I'm not comfortable with, but I'm gonna have to play along anyway, and. Uh, I think I just found out, like, I'm just a tremendously amazing liar. <laughs> like, I can pretend like I'm uncomfortable with something when in actuality I am screaming inside, or I'm, I know the moment I get back to my dorm room I'm going to start screaming or having a meltdown or something like that. But I also know that there is a time and a place because uh, there isn't any safe room uh, available uh, in neurotypical society. Like, we have to make our own. And, uh, you know, on a college campus, there's not many places you can go and scream without attracting attention. The way I explain it to people is, uh, you know, people, brains like hamster wheels. Eventually, the hamster's got to take a break. Um, autistic brains aren't like that. They just keep going and going and going. So we can't stop thinking about things. There's, like, that's why a lot of kids with autism have sleep problems, because they can't fall asleep because they have too much on their brain. They, they can't sleep because they're thinking too much. And um, it, I think it's just the walking in circles. There's no thought to the circle. Like, it's just, like, so I'll just plug in my earphones so I can't hear anything else except whatever white noise I'm listening to, and I'll just walk in a circle. I think it's just, like, we are just as prevalent as men with autism. There might not be as many as uh, uh, there are boys, but um, we are still part of this movement, we're still part of this community, and we just got to be, remind people that, hey, you know, we're here too, you know, don't forget about us. Uh, one thing I've learned is that, um, first off, I'm not the only person who uh, is speaking from their own perspective. Like, I feel like I go to some of these conferences and it's a bunch of doctors and a bunch of parents who want to talk and get to know what autism is about, but there's not a lot of people on the spectrum talking about it. And so I come to these and I see Temple Grandin, who's 
one of the biggest spaces in the autism community, actually get up and talk about what helped Paul and what we need to do in order to get our kids out of society and not in our uh, parents' basement. And so it's it just kind of reaffirmed me like, I'm not the only one. Because <laughs> I go to these and I would be the only one. I'd be next to a bunch of doc girls and talking about worlds I have not even seen before, let alone pronounced. And I'm just sitting here like, I did a pageant once. <laughs> so it's good to know like I'm speaking from a perspective of uh, not necessarily overcoming, but learning to live with uh, this because I feel like not a lot of people come out and say what it's like to live on the autism spectrum. Um, a lot of people talk about their struggles and everything like that, but they don't talk about you know, what they've done to uh, make their lives better uh, while living there. Welcome back to Autism Live. We are here in the studio live with August McAdoo. Mm -hmm. I was going to say something else, but I got <laughs> it right. And Jeremy Aldrich. And if you missed before, I was saying that they are here to talk about a very special production of Boys Next Door. And it's being produced by CRE Outreach. Yes. Uh, opening on October 12th. Tell us again where we can get the tickets, Jeremy. Okay, you can go to www.creoutreach.org. There's a big button. You can press it. It says <laughs> buy tickets. <laughs> and you'll be able to do it. And it will be a fabulous thing. The tickets are only $15. Yep, 15 uh, Which is an amazing opportunity to go to the theater. It's a great play to begin with. Uh, I think a play that's important to our society because it is about people of different abilities. This is the first production that we are aware of in which diff people of different abilities have been cast to play the roles, not necessarily the different ability of the person in the role, which mm -hmm. I love. Uh, and August is in the, the show, starring in the show, one of, the, one of my favorite roles in the show, the very lovable Norman, who absolutely adores donuts. Yes. Uh, I can't wait to see you in this, August. I, I can't wait to start. I can't wait to get rolling. Absolutely. <laughs> to get an audience, right? Yes, because rehearsals are, are absolutely fun. They're, disco they're discovery filled. But once those lights go down and people get into the theater and they see what we do and what we can do, it's, it's one of a kind. I love the passion. And Jeremy, you're directing. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just say it's, um, I was thinking about this last night, just, um, you know, uh, the, the courage of these actors is unbelievable. I yeah. mean, it's unbelievable. I did one other production uh, called Beyond Sight that we did an original mm -hmm. musical I did with CRE. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had a, a moment in that show where the lead in the second act, he was a blind actor, uh, he ran across the stage, you know, to the to his uh, therapist. I think mm -hmm. that's right. Um, it was an magical moment, mm -hmm. right? Um, because he just went freely. He ran with abandon. He ran with some abandon, and it was uh, it was a pretty amazing moment. But what's crazy is that in this show. Uh, we have those kind of moments happening all, like, the, time. all, the, all time. the time from from the time we go up to the time we go down you know wow. it's just and I was just thinking about you know not only physically but emotionally it's a very challenging piece yes um, especially for certain uh, actors and, and actually really all of the boys it's very emotionally challenging um, so it's an adventure that way 
you know, as well as physically. And I just, I have a lot of admiration, you know, for them and what yeah, they're, what they're doing. So they're stepping forward. It's, um, it's, 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 it's uh, outstanding. It's, it's, it's crazy, really. Uh, so well, what a lovely come thing. See. Yeah. Yes. I cannot wait to see it. But I also want to say too, that, that, that kind of the permission to be that, to be that courageous, uh, it, you know, it all trickles down. And yeah. if you've created a space in which they feel that they can do that, you need to take ownership of the fact that you created that space sure. in which for them to do it. So congratulations to all of you. you. I mentioned before the break that I wanted to talk a little bit about something because you directed a play a couple of years ago. It was an original work called Absolutely Filthy. That's right. And it was, I, I talked about it on the show. I came in and talked about it because it was such a big, it was amazing show. Uh, won all kinds of awards, uh, had many more incarnations because it was so lovely. I still think that things need to happen with that show because it was amazing. There's still things going. Uh, wow. I, I really, truly, if you get an opportunity to see it, it you will not be sorry. And um, I was there for a particular performance where something happened. Uh, there was an, um, a member of the audience that as the show started, there are some very poignant things in the show, but some very funny things in the show. And um, the, sh the show started and everybody was laughing and enjoying it. And one person was laughing particularly loudly, uh, particularly loudly. And then the laughter continued and the laughter, the loud over the top laughter was all the time. Mm. And sometimes in very inappropriate moments and very loud. Like you in a small theater, there was no way to get away from it. And it even took me, with all the experience that I now have, uh, it took me a while to realize, ah, that is not a choice. That is, that is what that person came to this theater with. Uh, this is their way of accessing it, accessing theater, and it is disruptive. It was. It was disruptive. It was disrupting other people's experience of watching the show. I could feel the audience getting frustrated. There were times when people made comments. Um, but through all of it, the actors on the stage, you know, really hunkered down and continued on. And there was an energy that happened as a result. And your leading actor, uh, Brendan Hunt. Oh, so talented. Extremely. And so talented in this role. And you want to talk about courage and leaving it all on the stage, man. <laughs> like, there's like literally and figuratively, he does. There is like no place for him to hide. And, and he powered through it when I think a lot of actors would have been thrown off. Mm -hmm. um, and the level of focus of what happened, it was for me life changing to see this happened in this moment partially because of seeing how the audience reacted because you could feel that there was this i am entitled to watch this show without your getting in my way mm -hmm. and they were angry wow. uh, they were angry about it and it was so interesting because it was mirroring exactly what the show is about on stage mm -hmm. about one person saying i can't do it your way I can't. I've tried and I cannot do it your way. That does not make me any less than you. And and the fact that there was this happening on stage and this happening in the audience to me 
was very personal and emotional and devastating in so many ways that it's how many years later and I still am, you know, have a reaction to it. And then later I got to have a conversation in your home with you and your leading actor and right. several other people <laughs> about that night. Because in the interim, one of the things that happened was there was a production of South Pacific where a mom had taken her child who was on the spectrum to see the show and there was a moment where somebody I think was being flogged and the child had a severe re reaction, had watched an hour and a half of the show, but had this reaction to it and began to scream. And people in the audience began saying to the mother, you, you know, you've got to take him out. And she was trying and he was holding on to the railings, did not want to go. Mm. And it really was very disruptive to the audience and to the show. She did get him outside and people were saying, why on earth would you take someone like that to the theater? And to me, this is crushing, right? And what I loved more than anything else was that the actor, the lead actor, published something and said, I want to respond to this. That of course she should have brought him to the theater. And of course he had a reaction. And of course that made it uncomfortable for people. And that is why we do live theater. Wow. And I loved hearing that from the actor, but there will always be people who will say, if you can't hang the way I can, you can't, you can't come. Hang at all. You can't come to the arts, which I appreciate how difficult it is to watch. I was in that audience and I was struggling to be mm -hmm. able to access the play while this person was, it was a struggle. But that is me having to struggle one day. That young man struggled every day. And I don't feel more entitled to see theater than he does. Um, but it was clear that a lot of people in the audience did not feel that way. And I know I, what I loved when we had the conversation at your house, you said, and, and JJ, who had produced the play, was there. Mm -hmm. And the two of you, both who had been my students, I couldn't have been more proud of you on that day than ever. <laughs> you said to me, what can we do when this happens again? Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, how do we like prevent somebody from coming to the theater you said how can we give them access and not make it harder for everybody else what can we do yeah how can we make it a win a win for everyone how can we make it accessible and yeah and I loved that your heads were in that space instead of saying like the people at South Pacific said which is you shouldn't take those people to the theater can you imagine if you had not been allowed to go to the theater no that, well, that's the world would be a, a less wonderful place. Seriously. If you had not been allowed to go to the theater. Seriously. So that you could now perform and do a performance that I know is going to be amazing for people. I get wow. I get emotional about yeah. it. Um, but as a director. I'm just baffled by thinking about that. Like, right? Wow. Um, and yet, you know, this is where a lot of the world comes from. From mm -hmm. a place of, if you can't hang the way I can, you can't come. As a director, mm -hmm. and a director who's working in this format, and then working in, in theaters where this is not the format, where, where are you with this now? As far as access. And, and thinking about that now, because you weren't there that night. No. Uh, your wife was there. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure she came home and said things about it. And then I called you up and I was like, yeah, I, took, I had a whole different take on it. Um, but. So you didn't get to be there and experience it, but you've heard it from a lot of us with different points of view. Sure. Um, so, and 
anyway, your thoughts. Um, well, I know that. Um, uh, it, it, well, interestingly, like I think there's a there's like a coda to that story um, because um, the people in the theater community um, that know that gentleman, they actually worked together and worked very hard, I think, and um, and uh, actually were able to improve the situation or improve the his, uh, the, the individual's reaction reactions. So he's but, been able to, to... Yes, to work, but like to, for the community to stand up and say, how can we help? How can we, yeah. how can we, you know, just have some effect? So that was, that was something that, that happened, I which that. I, I believe is a, was, is a wonderful, you know, was a wonderful thing. Um, so that, that's the, that's kind of the ending on that. I think that was a very... And it, I, it, I didn't know that, it, so it ended, that's wonderful. It ended up being a very successful... So he's still process. coming back to the theater and enjoying the theater in a way that isn't being disruptive to other people. I believe so. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's so wonderful. that that was a, you know, so it wasn't there wasn't a you know some kind of punishment or exclusion reaction. It was more how how can we work to how can we work in a way that is going to benefit everyone. Yeah. And not exclude anyone. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's I think that's. A great ending to that story. I love that. Um, you know, I think you know. I read that essay that you talked about, and I think about the, the actor. The, yeah, the actor yeah. with the child, and I, you know, that's just it. I mean, how how can you know? Like, how can you know how something is exactly going to impact yeah. your your child or impact someone you don't know? Yeah. Um, and so many of us are have so many different. Uh, reactions and histories and yeah. so on how could you possibly exclude exclude people well and the fact for me that 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 young man in the south pacific had already seen like like an hour and some odd of the show yeah. and not been disruptive yeah um was very telling to me obviously I, you know, when we take kids to the theater, when we take little kids to the theater, there's a there's a, a thing, and I think people should take little kids to the theater all the time, right? <laughs> right. And um, and whenever I had the opportunity to, I took my son to the theater. In fact, you did children's theater, and I would bring my son. Yeah. It was one where you served pancakes. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, at a show. Uh, but I, I have a pancake memory. But um, you know, kids aren't going to be the well-behaved audience members either. And you know, there is a, an understanding amongst parents that there's a certain level of disruption in which your child, just like a church or any other public place, if your mm -hmm. child is acting out to us or making a certain amount of noise, that there's a judgment call. At which point you step out. Yeah. And, and that mom was trying to take her child out of the theater. The child did not want to go, you know? Uh, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. How do you feel about separate showings? Uh, like, you know, how do you feel about separate showings? How do you feel about, because there's multiple ways you could solve the issue. Yeah. But like, we are, when we're at church, let's say, they have a room, yeah. you know, for uh, the little ones, Infants, you yeah. know, so you can have the, watch the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, if there's something that's going to be happening, like you're in that spot. Yeah. What, um, do you feel that the, those types of uh, accommodations, let's say, are insulting or somehow, um, you know, does that make it a less than situation 
or like how do you feel about those types of solutions not to at all. bringing people to the arts? Not at all. And then I want to know your opinion about this, but okay. I feel like if you give people choices, people will often be able to choose what is right for them. And for some people, there is a sensory issue that if it's too loud, um, they still want to access to it, but being able to be in a room where they can either have their reaction or have the, the sensory Modern. deadened a little bit. Yeah. I love to go to sensory friendly performances. Blue Man Group, Blue Man, I'm, I'm come for you guys. Are you about to go see a sensory friendly I, production? I uh, I went to one actually. It was it was last year? It was. Um, no, it was, it was 2016. It was for my first performance, and somehow, some way, I guess, I guess production crew they knew that there were a lot of a lot of children and adults with autism that had a sensory a sensory issue, and you know me being one of them, and I I said okay, you know I'm gonna go, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna have fun, yeah. and in the middle of it, it was there was this moment where. The blue men, they came out to the audience, and of course, you know, they touched me on my nose, they touched me on my hand, put blue paint on me, and they looked me, you know, I looked one of them in the eye, and I said, I was like, this is fun, thank oh, you. It was that. nice, it was one of the nicest experiences I've ever had. And amazing to have that opportunity. I recently went to, uh, and it wasn't the first time I've been in a sensory-friendly production, but um, where you know lights are up instead of down, and and nobody was allowed to clap, mm -hmm. and it was it, everybody was uh, clapping the the, the, the yeah. sign language for it because sensory wise there were people who it's too much when people clap, and it and it was such a different experience of the show. Sounds and, fascinating, like right? And getting to it. talk to the actors afterwards about how was that different for you. Um, and in the beginning, there were you know there were some of us, myself included, it was like you know scene ends, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, and I had to think and become mindful, but there was, there was such joy in being able to physicalize how I felt about what they were doing on the stage that I kind of preferred it. Mm -hmm. And I find myself doing this all the time now because it was, by the end of the show, we were in the habit. And this, you know, I have arthritis. This is painful. Yeah. And this feels joyous to me. Mm. So I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think when you give people choices, they will gravitate. I mean, you know, right now, you can take your child to go see a movie and have it be in the dark theater, or you can go uh, and see a sensory-friendly version of it where they'll have the lights up and where everybody knows that there'll be conversations and things are gonna happen. For some people, that's more distracting. Right. Well, you can choose to go see it in the dark mm -hmm. and have that mystic chasm thing happening for you. Yeah. I love that you can choose to go to a museum and have the lights at you know brighter or less uh, at different times because they have it sensory friendly. Um, I I think we're getting there, and I don't think that saying we have different accommodations unless you force it. Right. If you say you must see this performance, you must sit in this room. That's the only thing that I think would feel in any way um, discriminatory. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a great answer. Thank you. Because, a long one. because you know, just when you're thinking about these issues, you don't even know if your thoughts are discriminatory. <laughs> you know, if you're like, Look, if, you're, if I'm, you know, if I'm going, if I'm saying, uh, you know, well, these are some options, but you don't. Yeah. Anyway, so I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate that distinction about choice. 
um, that that really straightens out some things. You know, uh, would have been a good thing to know when we were having some conversations years ago about, about this similar issue. I'm available whenever you want to talk. I know, but I want to say <laughs> that I am a parent. Yeah, I am, and I count myself as part of the autism community as a parent. For a lot of time, I was my son's proxy before he could communicate. Now he communicates on his own. I am no longer his proxy. I am a cheerleader. I am on the side. I am not a part of. And, and it's very big in the autism community to say nothing about us without us. And I am not that anymore. I was his proxy. I am not anymore. Mm. The true opinion is people like yourself to know, and I spend a great deal of time with adults on the spectrum and finding where I am small-minded and I am wrong and I am not seeing the big picture. And that's where I always have to come from that place of, I don't know, mm. um, but I am always at the table to learn. Mm. Um, so I can't wait to come and learn from your performance. We're totally out of time. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a lot of fun. But again, where where are we sending people to, gentlemen? Okay, so we're going to uh, www.creoutreach.org um, to buy tickets. And again, we open October twelfth. So come see it soon, so you can tell your friends how awesome it was. There you they go. can come too. I'm, and here's a bonus: yeah. if you use the code word "boys," you get. Five dollars off, am I right? That's true. Oh, well, we, and Jeremy was keeping that close to the vest. I he was, wasn't letting but people know that. It's out of the bag. And I will be going. I cannot wait to see this, and I hope to bring my child to see this because I think he will enjoy it. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, why don't we? We'll, well, talk, we'll, we'll talk, talk later. We'll talk later. But in any case, uh, and also if you can't, if you're not in the Los Angeles area and you're watching and you're like, oh, this sounds so great. Um, you know, you can still talk it up on your social media and they, they take donations if you want to, and there is no donation that's too small. Um, so donate so that things like this can continue to happen. I'm in awe of both of you. I can't wait to see the show. We are officially out of time. Just checking the time here. Uh, we are not back live next Wednesday, but we are back live next Thursday. We'll be telling you all about what happened on the red carpet at Denim and Diamonds. Make sure that you tune in this Sunday. At, we're going live at 5.30 on Facebook. We It's a West Ring re reunion, you guys. We're going to be there with Martin Sheen, with Richard Schiff, awesome. uh, huh. and plus wow. a whole bunch of people from The Good Doctor, I hear, are going to be there, all on the red carpet. We're going to get the skinny from all of them. It will be mass chaos because we're just going to be live with no way of editing anything. I promise you it will be something. I don't know <laughs> what it will be, but it will be something. Denim and Diamonds. Uh, that's Sunday night, 5.30 Pacific time on Autism Live's Facebook. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks, guys.